Welcome to the CRE Shark Eye Show, where we discuss commercial real estate. This is your host, Ishai Breslauer. Here we meet every Monday to talk commercial real estate and prop tech. We will dive deep into the different asset classes, discuss the market, talk about the new and exciting technologies, meet key people in the industry, and get some inspiration. Let's begin. Hey guys, before we start, I just want to point out the six best secrets for commercial real estate. It's a free download. Go to the text side and you will find it. It has absolutely great information, completely free, how to become a landlord, how to determine the value of a property, or creative financing for commercial real estate. All of it is completely free. Go download it. Also, I want to point out my CRE crash course. It's a two-week must-have program with a must-have skills for commercial real estate, like investment strategies, the must-have financial terms, how a deal is done. Go take a look at it, go to the text side, and click on the link. And now, let's continue with our program. Hey guys, how are you? This is Ishai Breslauer, your host of the CRE Shark Eye Show. Hope you guys are doing great. Uh, today, we have someone I actually met on a Sabbath. Okay, on a on a meal while we were drinking uh, some whiskey together and enjoying uh, a good time and good food, Jonathan Berman, it's a pleasure having you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your show. No problem, my pleasure. And uh, by the way, guys, today we're going to learn a lot of New York commercial real estate. We have a veteran with us uh, with tons of experience in commercial real estate. Um, you know what? Before I Yo, going on and on. Jonathan, if you want to tell us, give us a two-minute elevated pitch about your business. Absolutely. So um, I own a company called Brook Brokers, which I started back in May of 2022. And um, we specialize in off-market deals, quiet deals. And obviously, we also do on-market deals. Um, focus mainly in Brooklyn on multifamily, development, industrial, really anything but residential. Anything that is around the residential, you do. Anything, yes, but, uh, but not one to four. Yeah. And, like and the, obviously the, I mean, we also do... Right, the commercial, commercial level. Yes, all commercial properties. Or commercial level. Very interesting. We have a lot to talk about because a lot of stuff is going in New York today, and I'm really curious to hear your perspective on it. But before we go into that, Let's go back in time. Uh, how did you get into this? How did you get into real estate? Tell us a little bit. Tell tell us a bit about the story. How you know the excitement. So I uh, came from Israel um, back in '98, and I was in aviation back in in Israel, and uh, I opened up a company here to market black boxes for military aircraft. I traveled throughout the United States and I was representing a, a Israeli company here. Uh, the company decided to stop uh, manufacturing or stop uh, production. And um, then I asked myself, well, what do I really want to do? And I always like real estate and I always like sales. So I went into real estate sales. In fact, the, re the, the reason I like real estate is I started off, there used to be an infomercial called uh, uh, by a gentleman called uh, Carlton Sheets buying real estate with no money down. And I was one of those idiots, quote unquote, that decided to take the course. And let me tell you something, it really works. 
as crazy as it sounds, there was at that time you could get um, New York real estate uh, in Long Island uh, for no money down. Basically, you come, you sign, and the the rent would cover the mortgage. Which year is that you're talking about? That was probably um, uh, 2005. 2005. Interesting. Yes. And, and you actually purchased real estate? You you got into? Yes. yes. And what, what type? Uh, uh, residential. It was a one to four. That means uh, basically the Single owner family, would take back... duplexes, triplexes, stuff like that. Yes. And it was very, very nice. Uh it was a, it was a very good time. It was obviously not everywhere on Long Island you could do it. It was only in specific uh, neighborhoods, and at the time it was low income um, neighborhoods. But it was uh, it was very nice and it was uh, it was very interesting. I I didn't believe it was would actually work, but it works. <laughs> it works. Thank Anyways, God. So I um, after uh, ending my um, uh, high tech career, I decided to uh, join a commercial real estate brokerage. And my friends recommended that I join Massey-Nackle Realty. And it was uh, fantastic. Uh, Paul Massey, I consider him a genius. And uh, he was he led the company and he was uh, fantastic. I, I can't tell you uh, what a great company Massey-Nackle was. I stayed there for a good, um, probably a good six years or so. And then I uh, left the company and joined uh, Aerial Property Advisors. Um, that was back in 2011. Who we know, and I joined yeah. Shimon Shkuri. Yeah, so Shimon was also a guest of mine. Very, very, uh, very interesting person, and and also a veteran in commercial real estate and an excellent firm. So if you were yes. there, it means that you are a real pro. Uh, Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about those two experiences and how you grew. You know, with your experience from the first place they worked at and then to Ariel, et cetera. So um, at Massinaco Realty, I learned how to be a broker. That means they really gave me the tools uh, in order to, to understand what is brokerage. I was uh, taking care of a, or I was, I specialized in a Eastern Brooklyn and um, I um, sold probably close to 70 buildings in, wow. in a period. Uh, yeah. 70 properties in, in a period, in a short period of time. Uh, uh, well, a period of six years, I guess not short. Um, That's a was, lot was, of buildings to sell. T tell me something. Coming from, you know, aviation, coming from a completely different field, how, how uh, you know, a, a young person becomes successful in selling so many commercial, you know, properties? So... What was um, the secret sauce? <laughs> it was actually uh, through failure. Because at the beginning, I thought I knew everything. Uh, well, I, I was in sales and aviation. How hard could it be, right? I mean, I, I right. sales is sales. And then I learned that that's not really the case at all. Uh, you're selling to a different clientele. It's a different type of sale. And a lot of the things that I thought that I knew, I did not know. For example, um, how to approach clients properly. Um, I had to relearn. And uh, the person who was heading the office was uh, Tim King. Um, and uh, he was really, I would say he took me under his wing and he taught me the business. And I'm very grateful for to uh, Tim King for everything that he's done for me and, and the tools he gave me to grow. Tell me something. Give us an example 
of the difference before we go into your, you know, more previous experiences, you know, from selling aviation, you said it's completely different. And yeah, of course we get it. But what was the thing that was, you would highlight as, wow, I didn't know that. And that is the difference. And that's how you should actually sell, you know, a commercial property. So uh, when you sell to aviation, there are different ways of doing it. Um, one of the things is that there's just an auction, basically. I mean, they put it up, the government publishes a requirement, you fill in the forms and you submit your documentation and, and you hope that it gets purchased. Um, obviously, there's also uh, many times we have to go down to the facility and actually show your product and 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 uh, uh, show them how it works, et cetera, bring engineers. But that's it's a different type of selling when it comes down to it. it it's not as much as a relationship based um, sale as it is in real estate. And with real estate, it's really all about relationships. It's about connections. It's about uh, building trust. And really, I mean, in both cases, um, you really need to uh, show your value. And obviously, people are only going to buy your product or hire you if you show that you can provide value. But um, in high tech, it actually worked out to be easier because the value was technical and it was pretty clear cut uh, where there's still a a level of art in real estate which is not science and that it's in, in aviation it's much more of the science part of it i got it meaning you have to be technical you have to understand what you're selling you have to know your stuff but the relationship part is less important it's important but i'm assuming much less important because people are focused on what Correct. am i going to buy from you and in real estate obviously you have to know your numbers you have to understand the deals etc but the aspect the relationship aspect here is key, meaning if you don't have that, people aren't going to trust cool. you and not going to listen to you. Interesting. Um, I want to move up to your, you know, more previous experience in Ariel, and then you moved to Ariel. Um, what was the growth aspect, you know, from uh, after moving to Ariel? Tell us a little bit about that. So, like I said, at, at Massinacle, I learned how to be a broker, but in Ariel, I learned how to make money. And that's a different skill. Um, the at, at Aerial Property Advisors, I was uh, really uh, the, the, they took the model at um, Massinacle and they perfected it, and it really is focusing on allowing brokers to make to make money. And not that in Massinacle you could make money; people made a lot of money. But it's a different type of uh, of focus, and it's to the credit of the management and the partners at Ariel. Uh, I was again, focusing on Brooklyn and uh, we uh, did some very, very nice transactions. We did very well. And it's a, it's really a very good company. It's a, a company that really, um, I think uh, uh, in many ways provided additional value that uh, they did not provide at, um, at Massinacle. For example, the research department in uh in Ariel is probably one of the most advanced in our industry and, and definitely in New York City. Interesting. And now the most recent you know experience is you opened your own firm and now you're flying alone after you know using all the experience that you already have. Uh tell us a little bit about the flight, meaning the 
you know, they're going out and doing things on your own, the decision, the process, the thought process. So I uh, went through a personal transformation um, during COVID and right after COVID. Uh, and I asked myself, really, what do I want for myself? I'm not a young person. I'm 60 years old. And I uh, always wanted to uh, be on my, be independent. And I, the, the, the situation itself led itself to a, a, a possibility for me to do it. And I decided to hop out there and, and go do it. Um, the majority of the transactions in Brooklyn are not on market transactions. They're absolutely off market transactions. So um, there was, I felt a bigger opportunity for me to get in since I know I've been doing it for so long, there's more opportunity for me to, to do off market deals. And, um, the majority of the listings that I have today are all off market. In fact, they're all off market. <laughs> it's good to hear. It's good to hear for everybody's listening. Yes. I mean, get, you get me curious about that. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to start talking about, you know, your, your business model today and, uh, and going after those off market deals. Um, what does it require to get to an off market deal versus, you know, just going to the market? Meaning, uh, what type of skill do you need to have? Obviously, relationships, but if you could highlight on that. I, like I, I kind of said before, I mean, really, people only allow you to sell their real estate if they believe that you can provide value. And when I get on the phone, I will call an owner about, let's say, uh, with one property. And then at the end, I'll always ask, um, is there anything you'd consider selling? And I, um, uh, people will, will, depending on on if they know me, on the level of conversation, on the uh, in depth of my knowledge, uh, will trust me or not. And many times they do. And obviously, I'm I'm very grateful when they do. And I uh, uh, will speak with them, evaluate their property, and if their expectations are realistic, then I will uh, help them. Uh, sell their property. Okay, digging into the type of sponsors, properties uh, that you go after, if you could specify a little bit, what is your focus today? Um, which type of property you're going to go after and you know what the market demands, the types that you more, how do you say, desire in terms of the types that you want to get listings of? Yes. So I can tell you that um, in today's today's market is kind of strange. Uh, there's very little value in rent regulated buildings because the um, they've become so regulated by the city right. that um, it's questionable what value it has. And it comes from a very interesting um, concept. That means up until several years ago, there was a understanding that owners were allowed to make money or could make money through owning real estate, through owning rent-stabilized uh, uh, real estate. But there was a, a shift in the in the thought process of the city. And uh, the owners were making what the city considered above average profits on, on real estate. And they went out and purposely uh, crunched that market. That means they, they didn't want owners to make uh that much profit and in return 
uh, or, or as time progressed, they actually decided that the, at least for this time, for the time being, uh, they don't want owners to make any profit on rent stabilized buildings. So even if you are able, if, if, if interest rates eventually will go down, probably taxes will go up. So this way they, they cap, they make uh, rent stabilized real estate uh, pretty much valueless. Uh, when it comes down to what is good in the market today as a broker to sell, I think it's a smaller properties. You have uh, mixed use, smaller mixed use. Um, you do have a free market, new construction product with a 421A. Um, really, that's the uh, that's that's what would sell. That's what's selling today. Uh, there are some REITs that are going in and buying. Um, these type of properties and there are other buyers. So there is money as a broker and there is property to sell, but the vast majority of the property, if I'm not mistaken, close to a million units um, is really at this point sellable at best at a, at a high cap rate. Tell me something. When you say small property, could you specify a little bit cap wise, price wise, it's it's very dependent. It's very dependent because um, when you're talking about a mixed use property, for example, um, the driver of the value comes from the commercial, right? The yes, the retail. So it depends if you're on a a, a let's say a major uh, corridor, or if you're on a side street, um, and and they don't come equal at all. Uh, right. And even within the commercial <laughs> corridors, there are different, uh, you can't compare, for example, um, the low numbers of Nostrand Avenue to the lower numbers of, uh, the higher numbers to the lower numbers of Nostrand Avenue. You can't compare, uh, there's a very difference even in Fulton Street. Uh, the lower numbers uh, in downtown Brooklyn give you one value and the higher numbers on the eastern side of Brooklyn would give you an another value. Um, it really depends on on location and foot traffic and, and uh, population. Right. But what I can tell you is this, the, what, what really the, 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 the value is the way in Brooklyn works in general, the closer, the value goes down as you go uh, east. So uh, especially in central Brooklyn, that means down to uh, uh, Park Slope uh, or the Gowanus is actually a, uh, uh, more expensive than let's say East New York and, and Brownsville. Um, and then in Northern Brooklyn, it's a little different because, but, but even in Northern Brooklyn, it's the same way because uh, the waterfront in Williamsburg is very different than the border of Queens and, and uh, Bushwick or East Williamsburg. So that's more or less the way uh, Brooklyn works. Uh, the, or even, even in South Brooklyn, think a look at, uh, at, uh, uh, Bay Ridge versus, uh, again, East New York. Uh, obviously, East, uh, Bay Ridge is much, much better. Tell me something. Talking about Brooklyn, if we started to talk about Brooklyn, let's keep on talking about Brooklyn. Brooklyn went through a lot, meaning the evolution in Brooklyn in the in the past, I would say uh, 15, 20 years even, uh, was tremendous, tremendous, especially in certain areas, meaning you look in the area in Barclays Center over there. It, it's yes. just... It's just unbelievable, and uh, it's it's not only that, but uh, um, there are certain neighborhoods that completely exploded, while others were not that much. Um, if you could give us an overview of what happened to Brooklyn, and meaning until now, and 
that will lead us to the conversation of what you think will happen to Brooklyn from now on. But uh, let, let's go through history a little bit because you were there. You were there yes. from the very, meaning for the past at least 20 years. So you saw the evolution firsthand. And I'm very curious to hear about that. So first of all, you need to know that if Brooklyn was an independent city, it would be the fourth, just the borough, it would be the fourth largest city in the United States. So right. in terms of, right. um, it, it's, it's, it's massive. And the market there for real estate is massive. Um, what really changed Brooklyn, um, I would say is, is, well, it started off, it depends where it's actually, but rezonings and the, and the focus on development is really what brought prosperity to Brooklyn. And, and you look at Williamsburg after the rezoning that, that occurred there. It is a an amazing place, and and people right. invested. Um, look at a more recent rezoning at in uh, East New York on uh, I would say Cypress Hills and and Atlantic Avenue. Um, right now, you're seeing prosperity. You're seeing a lot of larger multifamily uh, buildings go up, um, and zoning has really been a driver in Brooklyn for a long time. And 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 one of the there was a time in the in the '60s where um, Eastern Brooklyn was was not good. Um, and one of the faults, after doing research, one of the faults that um, came up was that the zoning there was too dense and there were too many people and the services that the city was providing and the quality of life that was provided was not good. So therefore you had the riots and you had buildings burn, being burnt down. Uh, obviously you had also uh, racial issues and um, other other similar uh, social issues that uh, occurred, which which brought on a devastation to the area. But really, what brought on the prosperity is uh, the rezoning, and um, one thing led to another. So Williams got Williams got better, and then it there was a spillover into uh, Bedford Stuyvesant, and right. uh, obviously uh, downtown Brooklyn, and then. People start to come, people, because Williamsburg was so hip, people started to come in from out of town. And they, people from other states wanted to be in Brooklyn. And um, it was just a, a uh, it, it, one, it's one thing that led to another that really um, brought pr prosperity and uh, to, to the borough. You know something, why you say this, it gets me to think, that the, part of the evolution was also the, you know, the thought process of New Yorkers that switched from the Manhattan aspect to the Brooklyn aspect, meaning people thought Manhattan, Manhattan, and all of a sudden, you know, Dumbo and Brooklyn Heights and all those, meaning things changed. Can you talk about that a little bit? Meaning what changed, how it changed? Yes. It, obviously, in the past, um, Brooklyn was more of a, a bedroom community i mean basically you uh lived in in brooklyn right. uh, and, and you manhattan. worked in manhattan but with the rezonings and with the new people that came in and with all everything that that all the new development suddenly there were a lot of people in brooklyn more people and there was there was growth and there was interest and and suddenly new shops went in and new services came in and people said you know something i don't need to travel in order to uh, to work, I can I can work in Brooklyn, especially when it came down to South Brooklyn, because to get from um, 
Coney Island to Manhattan, it take, it's, it's a schlep. It, it takes a long time to get there. So once the area got better, then uh, more shops and more understanding that people could work in, in the borough and uh, more services were provided. Um, so, so people were able to, to not, didn't have to commute. Um, I can tell you that still, obviously, Manhattan is, is the center of commerce in New York City. And uh, there's, uh, Brooklyn still has a long way to go. But right. there is still, but they, 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 there are more offices now in Brooklyn. There's more retail, even though it's lacking. Um, but it's, it's definitely on its way. And it's a borough in transition. You know what? Meaning, the last few years, the whole luxury market in Brooklyn is booming. Yes, unbelievable. Not talking about only you know the high rise, you know the the skyscrapers that are you know happening over there, but the whole skyline of Brooklyn is changing. Meaning, everybody used to look from Brooklyn yes. to Manhattan, and now it's becoming both ways. Meaning, all of a sudden the skylight. You know, the, 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 you look at Brooklyn, all of a sudden it, it's something. It's something. And and uh, well, what do you think about that? And the look, prices the, also, the, the, the prices, meaning per yes. square foot, they're like, it's a whole different ballgame now. The nice thing about it is that when an area develops, it, it, there's a certain level of excitement that you you get. And the, the, the excitement really uh, uh, brings all kinds of new development with it. it brings uh, the zoning with uh, the change in zonings uh, and, and, the, and the understanding that um, Brooklyn is a place to live has attracted a lot of people and it has a, a tremendous amount to offer. And suddenly the things that um, were quote unquote unattractive, dangerous, uh, you don't want to step in Brooklyn, you can, you can today go into some really beautiful restaurants in in. Crown Heights. You can go to a new restaurants on Flatbush Avenue uh, in, uh, in in Prospect Leopards Gardens. You can go to um, uh, they, they renewed uh, the King's Theater. There's um, more and more. There's, there's so much more that's being developed. And and Prospect Park is is wonderful. Um, the Brooklyn Museum has really uh, uh, be become a major attraction. You go there on Sundays, on the weekends, you have people right. sitting on the steps, and it's not dangerous, and it's it's a wonderful place to be. Um, Grand Army Plaza, it, it has just turned into a, a wonderful, wonderful borough, and people attract it has attracted young people, young families, and it's a it's become a real destination. Um, and I think now with the rezoning of the Gowanus. You're going to see a lot more, many more people coming in, and it's going to become a. If it was attractive up to now, it's going to become even more attractive. So, talking about the future of Brooklyn, this is very interesting. We had, you know, we we went through a lot of stuff lately, talking about the pandemic, of course, and it changed a lot of stuff. Not talking about only retail and uh, many other aspects, but in terms of the sales of condos. It changed also a lot, meaning they, they went down in certain in certain areas in certain ways. What did you feel from your end? Look, I think right now because interest rates are are so high and it looks like they're going to continue to climb, uh, it's going to be um, more of a challenge to sell uh, residential real estate and even commercial real estate. Um, but 
it's it's going to be a short-lived thing. That means that at some point, and I hope very soon, interest rates are going to go down. And the real estate market fluctuates. It's always been that way. Um, so I think that you're going to find that real estate, that, that the values right now or the market right now for condos um, might be a little difficult, but it's going to change. And, and, and they're going to be, uh, people are going to build more and, it's it's not the market is not going to dry up and you're going to get more people coming in it's just a matter of pricing that's all and as interest rates go down more condos will sell and i'm not i, I wouldn't be worried at all the opposite i'm very optimistic about the borough tell me something if i want to be specific now i want to ask you let's say you have three types of developers i'm talking about developers because those who buy you know income producing multifamilies you know where whether it's core plus or you know, more aggressive type, you know, uh, the value add types. Um, it's already leased, you know, it's rented out, there's stuff to do in it. They look, it's a different ball game. It's a different game. I'm talking about development. Let's take three people, three ty- two types of people, two types of people. One person is already purchased, has already purchased, you know, a property, a uh, land, and have started development, but they're in a very early stage, very, very early stage. And there's another person who is entering now a deal, a land. What would you tell them? Don't enter the deal now. Do enter a deal now. Don't sell. Sit on the land. Start start building. Go for the permits. Move it forward. What is, in terms of playing with the rhythm because you want to catch markets when they are at peak. You want to sell at the right time. So what would you tell them? What would be your advice? So the development market very much depends on the availability of a 421A, of the of the tax abatements. Um, I think that if you're already developing, you probably already have the 421A. So obviously you should finish it. You have your tax abatement and uh, you, you'll, you'll be able to sell it out. Um, when it comes to new projects, if you're at the, if you're going to be entering something that has the abatement, it will be good. If you do not have an abatement, it's it's definitely going to be much more challenging, and it very much depends at what price you can buy the land. Um, and by the way, land is only one component. Uh, there there are many more components of development than than the land, but it's a major component. In today's market, unless you find somebody who's desperate to sell. You're not, it's going to be very difficult to buy at the right price uh, in order to justify uh, rental construction and, depending on the location, probably also uh, condo construction. So I think that you probably uh, are better off holding off a bit uh, until there's clarity. Now, the 421A is going to come back. The question just is, in what form? Uh, and then once... We know what the uh, how it's coming back. Uh, everything will adjust in accordance, right? But it will definitely come back. What? What is the confidence? Where's the confidence coming from? That there are not enough units at the end of the day, and, and to, to meet uh, demand on all levels, uh, on affordable, on free market, and there's just a need for you for units. And developers are not incentivized to do anything with their land. Uh, until it's not, I mean, this is business. They they want to make money. 
And there's a big right. risk when you go into development. Um, so if they're going to develop, they want to return. And if the returns aren't there, there are many other places in the United States where developers can go to, and they don't have to build in New York. Right, exactly. Which leads me to say that I know a lot of people who do, we used to do real estate in New York and moved to Dallas, moved to Florida, moved to other locations, Nashville, moved to other locations that in terms of their perspective, they say, okay, the city is not so difficult towards us and we want to move there and it's easier to do business over there. Um, what would be the optimistic side of things to say, hey, stay in New York? So New York is a very unique place, and it always has been. Um, because we have such high levels of employment, and um, we there, there is uh, a constant demand for uh, housing. Um, and the 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 need is is there, and it's always going to be there, uh, definitely in the foreseeable future, even though sometimes you 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 can get very frustrated with the city. Um, but I believe we that it's it's say that again. And, <laughs> and but I think it's cyclical. I think that the current mayor right. is very different than the previous mayor, and their outlooks towards um, real estate is very different. Um, and I think that you're going to see an understanding from this administration that maybe you don't have to go fully towards developers or towards uh, the real estate industry, but you have to make it so people can make money. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. I mean, look, there are a large number of rent-stabilized units that are not on the market and not occupied because developers, owners, cannot afford to uh, repair them. And a, a gentleman called me. He has uh, three buildings which are uh, only uh, have occupied because they can't get the other units uh, fixed and, and, and make many money on it. It's not worth it for them. So right. why they're rent stabilized? I'm assuming. Yeah, they're all rent stabilized, and, and there's no way to to repair them and and, make, right. and, and, and recoup, recoup the investment. So they're not doing it. It's so amazing it's so how it's amazing how this whole idea was to protect the people who rent out apartments, and it only it only affects them eventually. It only affects those people who actually live in the apartment. And they can't get it fixed. They have to live in a de deteriorated, yeah, uh, you know, uh, place. And yes. it's, un it's unreal. It's unreal. So we it, are it really is, crazy. It is very difficult. But um, you have to remember always that um, the, the tenants have more votes than landlords. And therefore, uh, they'll always do what the, the politicians, being that they want to be reelected, will always do what serves them best. Even That's if it, for sure. ultimately it does not serve uh the tenants the best right so the way the way uh you know from our conversation what i take is on one hand you have the politics and the rain stabilized issue and all those restrictions that you have in new york and uh, the city and the difficulty and the other thing is on the other hand is new york is new york new york yeah. is new york and brooklyn is brooklyn and the growth is there and what happened in the last 15 to 20 years is, is phenomenal it's, yes. it's nothing less than that. And uh, the, the values just skyrocketed and it's still going high. And uh, uh, there's always a way to do it. In some periods of time, it's more difficult, but it's definitely 
uh, the opportunities are still there. Yeah, um, I Jonathan, can tell you, Yeah, go ahead. I just want to leave you with one uh, uh, message, really, and that I am personally very optimistic when it comes down to Brooklyn. I think that the best of Brooklyn is still ahead of us, and we haven't seen anything yet because, remember, most of the development has gone on in northern Brooklyn. Southern Brooklyn hasn't seen as much development, and I think uh, it's going to – you're going to see in the future uh, there's a lot more of Brooklyn to to be had and, and uh, a lot more opportunity in Brooklyn than we've seen today, up to today. Very interesting. Jonathan, it was a pleasant conversation and very enlightening, and I'm sure you guys enjoyed it and learned a lot from it. I love this thing because uh, – uh, Meaning, I was obviously uh, doing things in Brooklyn, and there's uh, it's always fascinating to hear someone with such experience yeah, give some light on it. Um, Jonathan, tell everybody, please, how they can find you. LinkedIn, email, website, tell them. So, um, obviously, the best way to find me is is through our website, and that is uh, brookbrokers.com. I love it. And, brookbrokers.com. Yeah. Yes. And we have a... Uh, we, Call me on the phone at 718-989-2900. And uh, my email address is jonathan at brookbrokers.com. But the, and you guys... best, Yeah, go ahead. But the best place to uh, uh, start off is through our website. Through the website, you guys here, and you can see the links above and below, wherever you see us. And I'm sure you're going to contact Jonathan. And if you need a someone with such experience and to find the right property or to sell the right property. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thank no you problem. very much. Stick, stick around. I'll say goodbye to everybody. I hope you enjoyed this show. You guys, I'm going to see you in the next show. Take care. Hey guys, thanks for joining me in this CRE Shark Eye show. I hope you enjoyed it. And go subscribe, download, do whatever you guys need to do. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves.